0: You're listening to episode 31. This is Grace on Fire. Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now here's your host dr jonathan g smith and hello
1: everybody and welcome to the show my name is the reverend dr jonathan g smith aka smitty your virtual pastor and my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose yes in the way of achieving every goal unfortunately Stands problems and barriers. You know, think about that. If, you know, all the goals that you've ever established in your life, and and we're going to be talking about goal setting in the future here and uh, achieving next year's goals. And I have a couple of opinions on that, obviously. But in the way of every goal, and in the way of every uh, dream that you might have, stands the problem, or stands the issue of problems and barriers that you might face. You know. And so how you respond to those, how you handle those, what are the things that you do, what are the steps that you take in order to tackle those problems? Well, those are things that that you need to think through and to have a strategy for. So we're going to be talking about that today. And in order to do that and to process that, we're going to be doing some street theology, talking about why God gives us those challenges. And we're going to, we're going to learn a little bit about providence and understanding what God's goal is for challenges in your life. And then I have a life hack for you, you know, trying. Trying to talk about some of the problems that we think we have but they're really not the big problems and so then we're going to move into our feature presentation but before we do all that i'm going i have a special message that i want to talk to you about and here we go music does mean that I am talking Posture Shift 2016. Yes, my friends, in 2016, actually coming up here, and then actually in a little over two weeks, I have invited my friend, Mr. Bill Henson, to come to Redeemer and to bring his message, his hope, his understanding of how the church can do a better job of ministering to the LGBT community. You know, I don't know about you, But in the last couple of weeks, I've been noticing on Facebook some articles spiraling around. I think it's actually post-election aftermath, and there's all kinds of conversations around homophobia, same-sex attraction, all these things, and you know, those are nothing but expressions of the typical culture war. And you know, really, is that even helpful? I don't think that it's helpful. I think that when we engage in that conversation, when we try to get in there for the church, it's a lose-lose proposition. So this coming December, actually in just a little, in a little under two weeks, Mr. Bill Henson is coming to Orlando, and he's going to be at Redeemer hosting his posture shift posture shift conference. So do 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 come in. I can't talk tonight. I don't know what's going on. Anyways,
0: let's get into some street theology. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. And I'm asking the difficult question
1: today, and that is, why does God give us challenges? Have you ever stopped to think about that? I mean, wouldn't it be nice that if God just, I mean, if he just said, okay, you're a Christian, great, that's awesome. Now, life is going to be smooth, life is going to be fun, and you don't need to relax anymore, because guess what? You're in, bro. You're in. You're in the crew now. You don't have to worry about that. Unfortunately, That's not true at all And that's why I think that sometimes When we characterize the Christian walk Or the Christian life As full of blessing and prosperity And just full of good times We are actually doing a disservice To the Christian faith And we're actually doing it to ourselves Because what we do is we set up false expectations As the way we think life should go And believe me, brothers and sisters out there Believe me when I tell you Let me just tell you the truth now. There just ain't no such thing as prosperity. Well, actually, that's not true. I do believe in God's prosperity. But I do think that it's overstated in major ways. And I think that it's overstated in the ways where it seems like or we think that somehow we can have this prosperous, challenge-free life. And the truth of the matter is, it's the exact opposite. That is, is that these challenges that we have in life are designed to shape and mold our character. And so let's kind of talk through a little bit about challenges that we have. You know, the Bible actually uses the term Trials. And I think that a trial is, is good. I think that the problem with the word trial is that it's associated with, you know, being on trial, like in a legal sense, like you're on trial. And yeah, okay, I get that. But let's call trials hardships for challenges. That is, is that certain things that come into our lives that we don't like, um, things that could that could hurt us or that could prevent us from achieving our goals positively or negatively, they're challenges that things have been taken away from us. You know, I've talked about losing my job a couple years ago and the challenges that were associated with that and how personally I took that. And that was a huge challenge and barrier in my life that I had to work through. So as I was thinking about this and was thinking through, you know, why is it that we face these these trials and challenges? You know, my heart was taken really to James. Now, James in the Bible is really interesting because if you're a Calvinist, especially, um, and you're really into the gospel like I am and you're reformed and, you know, you just believe you're saved by grace through faith alone, and then you read the book of James, you could walk away from that book and wondering, well, how do I square this with my Calvinism? And I, I think that's a really important question. And I don't want to go into two depths here on, you know, the deeper issues of James. But James is good because it's immensely practical. And so James 1, 2 starts off with that wonderful, wonderful verse. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Wow. Okay, James, I'm not really, you know, down with that. Think about that for just a moment. Here's James, you know, he's writing out. He could write anything that he wants to the Christians and he could start it off in any way. He could be like Paul and give one of these, you know, give us a whole chapter of exhortations, you know, like he does in some of the other books that he's written. But uh, he doesn't do that. He just goes right to verse two and says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, meaning that brothers and sisters, you will definitely meet trials and challenges of various kinds. And then he goes on to verse three, where the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, how do we reconcile this? Well, here's the interesting thing about this. What James is doing, and James will do this throughout his entire letter, is that he will draw from the Old Testament, and so he's thinking back through the Old Testament, he's thinking about the challenges and problems and uh, the things that faced his people, particularly the nation of Israel through through all of their journeys, through their exiles, uh, through their prosperity, and then every step of the way, he can't help but realize that over and over and over again, there were all kinds of trials, and the question is, is why? Why does God give us trials? You know, if you think back and and just step out of the theology for just a moment and you look around at life, wherever you experience resistance, very often it results in growth. Whenever you experience resistance, very often it results in growth. And one of the places that you can see this physically is when you're out there uh, or if you're in a gym and you've done a lot of uh, barbell training. Now, I used to love barbell training. I hated dieting, but I loved barbell training. In other words, I just loved slapping weights. So I was always fat and chubby, but I got bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, I've I've actually dropped 30 pounds uh, this year, and a lot of it has been just trying to scale down and not lift as, as much weight, partly because I was just getting so big. But it was addictive, it was fun, I enjoyed it, and the reason why was because I would see the results of the barbell training. And that is a really, really interesting example because when you apply pressure to your muscles and you vary it and you change it, it actually creates tears and breakdowns in the muscle that actually spurs and results in greater strength and growth. And If you see that and understand that as a corollary here, going back to James 1, 2, the reason why he can say count it all joy It's because it will produce strength and character. That's verse three. That is the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. Now that word testing of your faith, you could limit that ultimately to just your Christian walk and your belief in God. What I want to do is expand that out to faith in all of your activities because every single day you act in faith. The moment that you stand up, the moment you walk out the door, the moment you get behind the car, you're driving around, you're acting in faith. You're acting that the guy down the street or the guy who's at the intersection is going to observe the laws and he's not going to hit you. Now, if you're in South Florida, uh, you know that it. you know you got to have greater faith. You know, up here in Central Florida, sometimes I see the same thing. And it doesn't really matter where you are. You have to have faith that that guy is not going to just, you know, slam into you. And so it's faith. And a lot of the business activities that we get involved with, they're faith. They're based upon faith. And so the question is then why do these challenges come in? Why does God bring these challenges in? Because honestly if we were not being challenged, if we didn't have any resistance, if we weren't going through the hardships of life, we would never grow. We would never get stronger. I was um in preparing for this podcast. I went back to my my guru, this guy, you know, I've been reading this guy all year long. And he's just been he's just been really, really good. And it's John Bloom. He is the executive of Desiring God Ministries, which was the right-hand guy of John Piper. And he wrote in that great book that I've been studying: When God chooses his servants, he tends to give them oversized workloads. <laughs> Think about that statement. When God chooses his servants, he tends to give them oversized workloads and he goes on to say that the reason why god does that that he gives us oversized workloads is not only does he want us to grow and to get better and for our character to improve but he also wants us to understand that the things that he's called us to do whether it's to be you know a great husband a pastor like I am you know whether you're a financial advisor or stay at home mom whatever station and work he's called you in he very often will put oversized workloads in there so that you ultimately understand that you cannot do it in your own strength Think through something for just a moment. If you're trying to weight train and you, you know, you're told here, lift this 300 pounds and you can only dead, you know, you could only lift 200 pounds. Where's that gap of 100 pounds going to come from? Is it in your own strength? No. So what happens is sometimes people will spot Trainers will spot a guy who's working out and puts their hands on him and then there's that psychology, oh, I'm getting help and they're actually able to push through and that's very often true and God very often is working and is saying, you can't do this in your own strength but I can spot you and I can help you get through this if you will trust me. Part of it also though, and here's the other aspect of it, And that is is that when we experience challenges and we experience hardships, part of it is discipline because we're prone to laziness, we're prone to lack of creativity. It's only when we start experiencing pressures of life, it's only when we have, we're under the gun, it's only when we have a deadline to perform, it's only when those things, those pressures come in, do we have a tendency to respond in John Bloom, he goes on to write, he says, our proneness to wonder is curbed by the priceless grace of pressure. I loved that. Our proneness to wonder is curbed by the priceless grace of pressure. I just thought that was fantastic. And the reason why I thought that was fantastic was because that brings us back to the other aspect of training and resistance training. If we're constantly training, we're constantly training, then we're staying focused. We have goals that we're trying to achieve. It's when we're not doing that When we have a tendency to become susceptible to all kinds of temptations, to all kinds of bad habits, to all kinds of problems, and the worst thing that can happen is that we just go on and ignore it. So the theology here, the street theology, is why does God give us challenges? Ultimately, it's it's to shape our character and turn us into the people that he
0: wants us to be. And now for Smitty's Life Hack Tip of the Week.
1: And that brings me to my tip of the week. And a little bit of a difference here, a little different subject here, but here it is. Why you should turn off Facebook. And it doesn't matter if it's Facebook, pick your poison, whatever social media outlet or you know media outlet that you choose. You know, let me just give you a heads up on why I've stopped following certain people. And that's what's happened. I have stopped. I've intentionally gone into Facebook and have begun to turn people off. And the reason why that I've been doing that is because over the last couple of years, I've noticed a problem. And this is the problem. I've noticed that whenever I follow certain people that say certain things, it leads to discontent. And so I realized that that discontent, that negative voices, they're they're uh, whatever they're upset with, whether it's theology, and usually it's around theology, um, you know, within certain face group groups, Facebook groups that I was a part of, you know, whatever it is, I noticed that when I was a part of these groups, that I was getting sucked in to the negativity, and as a result of listening to all of that negativity. I was actually, you know, finding myself getting caught up into despair and being negative myself. And that was having a really bad impact on my work environment. So if you are listening to some guy who's railing against, you know, in my case, you know, traditional Anglicanism, then I realized that I was actually starting to feel a little bit discontent myself. I was starting to feel a little bit discontent in terms of, What I was seeing. And as a result of that, I I just, I was depressed. And so I thought, you know, we have to be careful. We need to be careful who we listen to. That doesn't mean that, you know, we censor everything out and we only read people that we agree with. I think that it's healthy to read people that disagree with you, that's really important. But I think it needs to be controlled and I think you need to be careful on how you proceed forward and how you are, are taking information in. Because if you are just taking it in haphazardly or you're getting caught up in a bunch of negativity, the results can be very detrimental. And so be careful. Take a look at how Facebook is impacting you. Don't just stop using it because I think it's a very helpful tool. But I think it's important to understand its psychological impact on you as a person.
0: And now it's time for our feature presentation. And that brings me to
1: my five ways to stare down life's challenging problems. You know, I wanted to go find some, you know, hip-hop fight music and... Uh, something that I could use to put under the, kind of get us into that fight mood, and and the reason for that is that I think that sometimes we just need to kind of cultivate a winning mentality in our heart. Music sometimes, uh, music for me is a really powerful tool just to sort of get my mind geared around. Trying to tackle problems, and so uh, you know, my my tip here isn't to use music. I'm just telling you what I was trying to do. But, anyways, I, I listened to a bunch of music. I couldn't find anything that I could use that wasn't copyrighted, and a lot of the stuff was cheesy. So we're just gonna move on from that. So here's the question I have for you today. So what are the problems you're facing? You know, what kind of challenges are you working through? Let me kind of give you a little bit of insight in what's going on in my family. So. Today, actually, and if I sound a little rushed in this podcast, this is the reason why. So today, we found out that my wife is having to face um, disc surgery or spine surgery. And she's really been experiencing some some symptoms, uh, some progressively worse symptoms. And, you know, for a while now, I've known that something seemed wrong. Something seemed off. And I just thought maybe she was stressed out at work and i thought maybe okay she's you know not feeling good or you know maybe the kids are driving her crazy but she hasn't been able in her words to bounce back and so that's you know resulted in a lot of problems and you know a lot of challenges and, and, and you know when you have one something when you have something that's health related in your life you know, it can be detrimental. So we've kind of been in shock and then kind of angry and then kind of depressed and just kind of going through those normal issues, you know, to when you're dealing with challenging problems. And we know, we have, you know, doctors and stuff. And so she, I'm very confident that she'll work through this. She's, you know, athletic. She's taking care of herself. She's still very young. And I have full confidence that she's going to bounce back. But sometimes, you know, in in other types of problems, you know, it's not always so straightforward. You know, how we go through challenging, or, you know, what we're dealing with, uh, or how we go through solving the problems. You know, sometimes it just takes you know, it takes a little bit more thought. And um, so I wanted to give you what I think are what I'd call five ways to approach your problems today and to kind of think through exactly, you know, the challenges that you're looking for, because we have to have a strategy and every strategy, and these are just strategies and I'm not saying do, these are, these are not linear, you know, you know, start from one and go to five, you may just be stuck on one. And it may take you a little while. You know, actually, you might want to start with step number five. And I'm going to tell you what those steps are as we're going through challenges. But as I said from the very beginning of this episode, the challenges, problems are designed ultimately in many ways to improve our character, to improve how we are. So I think that we should we should have, you know, a positive approach to problems, that when we face problems or when we face challenges, particularly if they're interpersonal and you're dealing with other people, that sometimes, you know, um, you should look at those in a positive way. Let me give you an example. One of the most difficult lessons that I've had to learn as a pastor and, um, and as I think about this, the problem has been dealing with church people um, particularly, who were very unhappy with the way that I was running the ministry and the decisions that I was making. In fact, these were the kind of people, and I'm thinking of one person of mine, I'm not going to say who it was, but I was thinking of one person of mine that was just very, very, very difficult and actually made about a year, maybe six months to a year of my life uh, just really, a, I, I don't want to say a living hell because that's not true because it wasn't a living hell, but it was a constant source of criticism and negativity that really had what I would say as a profound detrimental effect. And because I didn't handle that situation correctly, because I didn't really know how to do it, because I never experienced anything like it before, because uh, I'd never been a pastor before, I think I really handled it incorrectly. And the truth of the matter is, is that when I uh, tackle that problem, what I did was I just basically uh, tried to avoid it and hoping that it would go away. That that That's just true. And unfortunately, that didn't happen And even worse, the problem just got aggravated and it ended up in a huge conflict. We had to bring third party people in and it just became a huge disaster. It was a total, total, total distraction for me that lasted at least six months. And, you know, I remember thinking through the stress associated with that person and just all of the the stuff I wish. That having gone back to that, I wish I could have gone through that and processed that uh, with that person differently, but unfortunately, I just didn't handle it, and so I think that there are debt. This is this is coming out of just not only my interpersonal challenges that I've had uh, in life, but you know business problems, all sorts of things. These five. Tips come from my experiences and having to deal with all of the difficult problems that I've had in my life. So let me kind of get into the first one. The number, I think the very first one is this you have to assess the risk associated with the problem. And here's what I mean every problem has a risk reward associated with it. Um, and, it and you just have to understand that sometimes if you try to solve a problem, um, Or if you do solve a problem, there's going to be trade-offs with every problem. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do that, then this will happen. And you need to understand that when you're trying to solve these problems or whenever you're facing a problem, you first need to just kind of stop and think through, okay, what is the risk-reward with this problem? What's at risk if I don't do anything at all? And what's the reward? If I try to solve the problem, so going back to my example where I had the interpersonal conflict, I wish I had thought through a little bit more clearly what the risk reward associated with by ignoring the problem. For me, I didn't stop and think about, okay, what's the risk of just avoiding this person and not doing anything about it? Well, the risk, as I found out, was six months of having a a really strained and difficult relationship that compounded and echoed throughout my church and i wish that what i had understood was that the risk of not doing anything of not taking action was far far or the consequence of not doing anything was far greater than if i had taken action and the reward would have been solving that addressing that immediately and then moving on but instead i didn't do anything and so you know we have to assess you know the risk that's associated with the problem if I had just sat down and said, okay, this is what I think is going to happen, you know, that might have been something, you know, if I had just thought through, if I don't do this, then this will happen. Then I think if I had done that, then I might have been able to at least avoid some of the pain that I went through. You know, maybe I would have shortened it. But unfortunately, I didn't do that, and it was a very difficult time. So I think that one of the good ways to assess risk in whatever it is that you're doing uh, is that you need to simply write out what your problem is. You know, a good way is I'm having difficulties with this person. This person makes me feel, think, or do, or act in such and such way. The problem is this. And the reason why that this is helpful is that if you can externalize the problem from your mind, that is if you can get the problem and put it down on paper, what you're doing is then you're you're actually able to look at the problem, sort of dissect it, you know, and almost becomes uh, in, in some ways objective. And if you can just keep it there in whatever kind of organizational system that you're using, if you can just keep it there and say, okay, I'm going to address this problem on such and such date, whatever it is, at least you've now externalized it and now you can begin to do the analysis of it. But there's also some other aspects here of understanding risk reward and understanding just what the positive side of a risk is. So going back to the interpersonal issue, for me, the risk was too great. Well, if I confront this person, then I might feel bad. I don't really even know what I was thinking. But for me, it was because there was risk Because there was risk involved, then I was, because I, 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 believe it or not, I'm a bit risk adverse. I don't like taking risk, at least unnecessarily. But um, because I'm so risk adverse, I never saw the positive side of it. I never saw the positive side of being able to resolve the problem and to attack the problem. All I saw was the negative side of it. All I saw was all of the things and the bitter things that came out of it. And so I started thinking about it. I said, you know, what in my mind, I said, what is the positive side of risk? I mean, think about that question for just a moment. What is the positive side? And I think that for any risk that you take, the positive side the practice of faith. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you invest in finance or you are trying to pursue a person in a relationship, whatever you do in life, it is the practice of faith. I've said that from the very beginning. It is the practice of faith. And so If you understand it from this way, assess the risk associated with the problem, assess the faith involved to attack the problem. Well, that's a very different thing, isn't it? Because as Christians, what we want to do is we want to first and foremost understand that all of life is faith. And if faith is involved in solving problems and assessing risk, then we should run to those kinds of problems. So the positive side of risk is the necessary practice of faith. And I think that that's something that we have to just sort of think through. Okay, so what's number two? So here's number two. Number two is that you have to clear your mind from the clutter. Now, our minds are full of clutter in all sorts of ways. Whether it's we're filling it with Facebook or Twitter or email Whether we're filling it with relationships, whether we're filling it with sports, whether we're filling it with all kinds of, you know, extracurricular activities, just work in general, family challenges, our minds are full of clutter. And the problem is, is that when a problem comes in or when a challenge comes in, what will very often happen is that your heart and your brain will lie to you. You think I'm kidding? Go check out the podcast interview I did with Dr. Scott Livingston on emotional intelligence. Because I'm telling you that your brain and your heart, they will lie to you. Let me first deal off with just the brain. Inside your brain is a little uh, part of the brain called the amygdala. And that is the part called the lizard brain. And it basically controls your fight or flight you know, uh, syndrome or, or fight or flight scenario so that when you are facing some kind of challenge or problem or just basic stressor, you will either t- decide to fight or you will decide to flight. So if you decide to take off, one of the ways of doing that, by the way, is just avoiding your problems. If you decide to do that, um, guess what? Your problem's not going to go away and all you're really doing is engaging your lizard brain. But if you can get past your lizard brain and you can recognize what's going on, then you can begin to use your your higher thinking skills and you can begin to process through how you're feeling. And so you have to understand that your brain is full of, of clutter. It's full of, of processes that are constantly at work and you may not even be aware of it. So first of all, you need to understand that your brain will lie to you. Second, your heart will lie to you. I mean, that is just a biblical stance. That's a biblical understanding that your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And one of the ways that our hearts are desperately wicked is that it tells us lies, It will say untruths. Psychologists call these things limiting beliefs. That is, is that we believe uh, half-truths or untruths that we were told as a kid about ourselves, uh, or even we have been told uh, as adults, uh, even what society tells us. You know, for the person who identifies as gay, the uh, the LGBTQ community, it's hard to say that Q. Anyways, they say, you know, this is who you are. You have no hope for change. Change is impossible. Forget it. This is who you are. You were born this way and so on and so forth. All right. And the question is, is can you change out of that? Well, if you don't believe that you can change, you know, if you don't believe that change is possible, well, that's a limiting belief. And therefore, uh, you you're never going to really change. And so, you know, you can go on into other different examples. Let me give you another example. One of the things that I believed about myself for years was that I could not jog. That's true. And the reason why I believe that I could not jog is because for years and years when I was younger, I was, you know, first of all, I was, you know, really fat. (laughs) Let me just say it. I was just really fat and out of shape. And I never really jogged that much. And then whenever I went out and tried, my shins would start to hurt because I was overweight and, you know, I wasn't strong. And so for years, even into my adult life, I tried to start it up again and then I would experience the normal thing. You know, my shins would start to hurt and then I would quit. And this year I was just trying to think of ways that I could start exercising. And I said, you know, I would I would always see these runners and some of them were way older than me. And i would be like, well, how come this old guy can be out there running and I can't? And that really started to bother me. And so I did a little bit of digging around. I started listening to podcasts on running. And I discovered that part of the problem was is that I was overtraining and that I needed to scale things back. And so I had to go back and I had to, first of all, deal with my limiting belief that says, you know, I can't run because every time I I run, I develop shin splints. The truth of the matter was, is that was a limiting belief and it caused me to quit in in the past. And what I really needed to do was just give myself a little bit of rest, scale back my training, and then when I started training again, you know, step up to what I was doing. Push myself, allow my body to heal. That was a limiting belief. And I got to tell you, ever since I understood that, I realized the power of these limiting beliefs in my life. And I really begin to try to expose them and say, is this true? Do I really believe that about myself? And that goes back to one of the things that I talked about earlier in number one was, you know, you need to externalize the problem from your mind, assess what the problem is by by writing it down and then, you know, measure and assess whether or not it's true. Because you, your mind is full of all these things, going back to number two, your mind's full of clutter, it's full of these things, it's full of self-doubt, and you have to be able to discipline your mind and to discipline your emotions in order to be able to move through these challenges. And, and that's really true in so many different ways and in so many different areas. So think that, think about that. That's number two, clear your mind from the clutter. Here's number three. You need to get real with the amount of time needed. You know, when I started jogging and I developed shin splints, one of the things that um, I was just not—I was just not honest about the amount of time that it takes to recover. So what I would do is I would—I would experience some pain, I would experience some shin splints, whatever it was. You know, I would experience these things, and then I'd say, "Okay, I'm going to rest for two days." And then I'm going to get back and do it. Okay, get real. It probably is going to take me a little bit longer to do that. But I'm impatient. And that really kind of gets to the issue of number three. Sometimes our impatience, our need to solve the problem, causes us to act rashly. And it causes us to act abruptly. And it can actually aggravate the problem. When I was dealing with that really angry parishioner, you know, there was times that you know if I had acted too soon or I've done some things in a certain way, I probably would have made this situation worse. Now my problem was I dragged it out three months too long, and so I didn't act soon enough. But there was an amount of time needed in order to let that person, you know, adequately you know, adequately process through the conflict that we're, that we were having. And problems sometimes, and this is what I've observed in life that sometimes you know, especially if I'm coding or I'm trying to solve a problem, is that there's an, a, there's a bit of an anxiety that can happen. And so you get into a problem. And say, I've got to solve this problem right now. I've got to solve this problem right now. And then you start working, 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 and then all the clutter from your brain starts kicking in. And then you haven't done enough risk assessment. You haven't understood, you know, exactly what the problem is and what will happen if you try to solve the problem. And all these things start firing in your brain, and then you you move into the cycle of panic. You got to get real. And one of the things that I have found over time is that when you just step back from a problem, even giving yourself permission to, you know, uh, walk away from it for for a little while, maybe a day, maybe two days, and taking a rest, that your mind actually will still be processing in the background, but you can actually approach it with a fresh perspective. And sometimes, you know, we just simply are wasting time trying to solve a problem because we weren't real about the amount of time needed in the first place. And, you know, that is true in a lot of different scenarios. I have found also in raising children that sometimes your children, they have to process, the you know, whatever problems they're having. And, you know, sometimes it takes a few weeks. Sometimes it takes a few days. In some cases, it might be a several years. But if you can just get honest with yourself about the amount of time needed to solving your problems, you'll find that you'll stop wasting a lot of time. Remember, time is a resource. Time is a resource. How you spend your time ultimately will determine the quality of your life. And if you're wasting a lot of time, uh, on the problem, worrying about it, remember worrying about a problem, never solved anything, or avoiding a problem. If you're doing those things, then you are wasting a very valuable resource. And so what I would suggest there is just go through the exercise, start by externalizing the problem, you know, uh, assessing the risk associated with it, clearing your mind, and then just getting real about what it may take to solve that problem. You may not have the resources. You may not have the talent. You may not have the money. You may not have a lot of different things. And that actually will lead me to number four. So what do you do if you've done all of those other things and you realize, hey, I still don't know what to do. And that's number four, which is let's leverage outside help. I can't tell you how important it is. The older I get, the more I realize how little I really know. I mean, that is so, so important leverage outside help. You know, Job 12:12 12, 12 says this way, is not wisdom found among the age does not uh, does not long life bring understanding. You know, there have been men in my life particularly who were older and uh, and when I say older I'm talking 20 30 years, sometimes 40 years older than me who were just so full of wisdom. And looking back on it, I ignored them and, you know, I wasn't listening to the advice or the counsel that they were giving. And so, you know, I think it's really important that you leverage outside help. Also, when you're trying to solve a problem, you know, you don't have to just go out and find people um and get wisdom it could be just trying to find solutions to your problems get creative get on youtube you know google what your problem is see what other people are saying about your problem but don't just sit there and be arrogant and think that you can solve the problem yourself because you will save a lot of time by leveraging outside help you know one of the things that i learned is that i'm not really good at home building i'm just not And so, I like to bring people in who are good at solving these problems and leveraging them and paying them in order to solve my problems. And that, you know, apply that same kind of principle to all kinds of areas in your life. And by the way, because of the internet, so much of this is given away. But I think that that's critical because so many problems that you face Other people have probably faced them too. And so go find out who's talking about whatever the problem or challenge is and see what they have to say and see if that problem actually uh, is similar or parallel to yours. Because if it is, well, you're going to save a lot of time and you're going to be able to work and challenge or you're going to be able to work through the challenge and solve that challenge uh, far quicker than it would if you just kept spinning the wheels and not really knowing what to do. And that actually brings me to number five. And that is pray, then act. James 2.24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Again, that's a pretty heavy theological statement and I don't want to get into the theology of it. What I love about James is that he connects an idea of faith in action That is, is that you can't say that you have faith and not do something. And so I think that sometimes that when we're facing these challenges and problems, that sometimes you say, well, I'm going to pray about it. Well, you can pray all day long, but if you don't do something about it, well, then you're not really exercising faith. And... I think that this is why James is so helpful even in the in the practical aspects of life because he's going to tell you say look yes pray even ask God for wisdom but then go do something put your faith and prayers in action you might get it wrong but you also might get it right and what God's providence teaches us is that when we you know that his answer to our prayer is that he wants us to learn the answer to our request by failing. You know, failure has been immensely, immensely helpful in my life. I have failed at all kinds of things. And as I, you know, look back at failure, I've begun to realize just how much I've improved by failing. And sometimes I think we pray, hoping that God will give us the answer, and then we think that God has given us answer, And then we do something, and then it, you know, it fails. And then we ask ourselves, well, did God actually answer our prayer? And the answer is yes, because he taught you, he taught you how not to solve that particular problem. And that can be immensely, immensely helpful. But you know what? Also, God can give us wisdom, as James promises. And wisdom is always ultimately shaping our character, It's shaping who we are, how we respond, what we say and do, and how we move forward. And I think that that is really, really important to close on, to understand that challenges and problems that we face in life, they actually are designed to help and shape the person that we're becoming, to help and shape who we are, to become better people. And so, these little strategies that I have here for you, these are just strategies. These are just ways, places to start to get to help you process and to think through some challenges that you might be facing. But ultimately, what we need to understand is that life is full of challenges and problems, and that God's Word actually promises us because we're Christians, we are going to face different kinds of trials, challenges, and problems, and that, uh, you know, we can't avoid them. And so, because we can't, can't avoid them then we need to come up with creative ways to tackling them and ultimately trusting that God's providence is behind the scenes of our lives and working itself out in our lives beloved that brings us to the end of this episode listen no matter what it is that you're facing in life you can trust that God's blessing is at work in your life And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verve Creative Production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit JonathanGSmith.com slash Grace on Fire.